Welcome to the Coffee with Soul podcast with the Soul Diva. My mission is for women to love themselves fiercely, live soulfully while reclaiming their worth and self-expression. guests for a variety of free-flowing conversations. Everything from living in alignment to self-love, transformation, embodiments. So grab your cuppa for the latest soulful conversation. Really excited that Rosaria has come back (laughs) again. (laughs) And this is Rosaria Garcia. Uh, she's an ethno choreographer. How did I manage to Again. mess that up? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Choreo- choreologist, I can say this word. Yeah. <laughs> Dance and health specialist, movement director, and researcher. And so much more. I'm going to let her carry on from there. We're going to say, it's one of those things. I just, um, when I did my. Um, my PhD many moons ago, my director of studies, she used to say, oh, you're such a Renaissance woman, because now and again, I would just come to one of the meetings as like, oh, I'm taking those coaching, because I really want to be <laughs> another day would be, oh, I'm going to a circus in Brazil. And it's just like, <laughs> every single meeting, she was like, are you ever going to finish your PhD? I'm like, yeah, but you know, I just need to do other things at the same time. So yeah. There are things that never change. So yeah. accumulating bits. Of, I'm a real magpie. I just, you know, when I see something that interests me, and normally the people that I work with, you know, there are people that are coming with all sorts of medical conditions. So then I go and research and then it's, what can I do to support it? And then it just goes into yeah. lymphatic drainage or, you know, whatever. So that's well, me. And I was going to say, last time we spoke, we ended up talking mind, body, soul connection. But part of the conversation that came up, uh, which we didn't get into, was around what started out as uh, gods, goddesses. And obviously, when I did Marika 2 with you and the Orishas, and I loved all the uh, learning about the roots to the styles, not just doing the dance and um, yeah, the symbology behind it all. And obviously it fits so well with my passion of the divine feminine and sacred masculine. Um, And I was so taken for the timing of us doing this as well with everything going on in the world. Um, Because I think there's a real sense, certainly when it comes to divine feminine, that that can be quite a soft, you know, there's this this element of, of feminine being soft. And actually when we start looking at some of these goddesses and that's far from where they are so yeah I think you know it's a minefield because I mean obviously every single culture has um kind of linked to the divine whatever that Mm. is whether is administered by an institution or not yeah. And sometimes institutions are really soft relatively. So it's not like with big buildings or anything like that. It could be part of a tribe, but still there is a structure to it. And sometimes it's just very internal. But I think that um, it is very different if if we have 
being brought up in a system with this very much moral taste, like a Catholicism and Protestantism. Even if we don't follow the religion, the ethos is there in society. Yeah. So, you know, it is there, the way that people behave, even how often the supermarkets are open, you know, things like that. And the work ethic, everything is around a particular ethos that is very much influenced by religion, whatever that is, yeah. in whatever culture. But I think that when we are talking about the divine feminine, it's interesting when I was thinking about this, it, for me, linked very much with this idea of leadership and um and i suppose genuine truth and i want to say that in a way that is not airy fairy because we all know something that feels good for ourselves mm -hmm. and it's normally that thing that feels good to ourselves doesn't go against anybody so that is the richness of that that if it's true for yourself it's true for the people around you if not the ego is kind of creeping in and just making a bit of havoc but the idea of the divine feminine and imagery in general, I think is really rich because because of our own tradition, we may have an idea of the feminine as someone perhaps a little bit more controlled or repressed or just very dainty, whatever it is. Whereas the feminine is as vast as the masculine and both and together are mixed and not. So I think that what I really like about the um, the African traditions, in this case, the Yoruba based traditions, is that um, there is a whole array of divinities, Orisha, that have really humanoid characteristics. And if you follow the religion, you can have the so-called male influences, but also the female, meaning male gods and female goddesses in our terminology, yeah. because they don't call, well, male and female Orisha. And in that, you may have influence of, um, one of my favorite ones, it really speaks to me, is Yansa, that lady over there. And Yansa is the goddess of the winds and storms. But within that, she kind of represents the whole spectrum. And it's what I say very much tongue in cheek in classes. It could be a breeze, but it could be a tornado. So it's not like one or the other, and it's always changing. Um, and, you know, if you go, I'm not an expert on this, but I've been reading a lot. And the more I read, the more I realize that it's just like, just scratching a little bit of the surface. Um, and talking to people that go with the religions and, and, um, and people that are priests and priestesses in that religion. But one of the interesting things is that each god and goddess has different paths. So, for instance, it could be like different strands. So, um, Yansa, for example, has nine. So, there are nine different ways of Yansa being represented. That could be anything from someone quite mellow but a strong that idea of the breeze to the proper kali energy of cutting heads all the way through so it's always it's quite flexible it's quite mobile and it's not unique then you're influenced by other elements um the same for oshum oshum is the goddess of beauty and femininity she's got five 
I believe, five paths. So again, it's all um, in a way, you don't need to go through religion, but I think it's important that when we are trying to explore who we are, that we understand that you can be feminine and not, you know, what does that mean? Well, however you are, so you can be very strong and very vulnerable at the same time. And you can be very caring, whether you're a mother or not, mother having kids or a mother that nurtures projects or whatever it is, or no, you are very, um, very independent that doesn't have that element and that's completely fine. And that's what I really like about these gods and goddesses that it's okay, you don't need to have everything. It's yeah. just elements and is the respect that goes with that. And I think I found it very useful, particularly when I've been working with people using imagery linked to identity exploration or even mental health to really say, you know, it's okay. And it changes. That's a frustrating thing for people that need something stable. <laughs> it <doesn't, laughs> it's never stable. It changes. Sometimes if we are quite young, we may be a bit more of a shum. We may be a bit more vulnerable and a bit more kind of into our physicality, whatever it is. When we are later on, it's this idea of the, the maid in the crone and so forth. Is yeah. The crone, for me, is it may not be appropriate in terms of this curious understanding of Yonsa, but the crone for me is that woman that it just like, it's not messing. But that is my identification. Then someone else could consider something else. And that's the thing is that how all these imagery of ancestral really gods and goddesses can really help us to make the best of who we are and what it makes us tick. So on that note, because I always forget the names of authors and I think it's not fair, but um, I was doing a, a training in London um, and um, in, the, in the morning having breakfast with one of my colleagues, we just sat down next to this other guy and we were talking about gods and goddesses. And then he said, have you come, ar come around with Jing Shinoda Bolin? And straight away, I bought this book, which is Goddesses in Every Woman. So it's very much inspired in this sense by the Roman and the Greek mythology, which is a yeah. bit closest to Western understanding. Um, because then Catholicism actually took lots of the gods and goddesses from the Roman and Greek um, yeah. religion, and then they became saints. So just like that, magic. Um, <laughs> So it's really interesting to see the different um, archetypes and how they can relate to you. Now, is all this is really a minefield. It's just a tool for people to understand, to try to articulate a little bit more where they are at, um, or, you know, what it makes, how they can make sense of the world or their world. And sometimes it's useful because it helps, yeah, to articulate, to put words to a feeling. Um, but sometimes it comes on the way for people that don't like that and they like more of an embodied identification. And, and that's why the dance is useful because you don't need to communicate, but you can embody a particular feeling that Absolutely. is associated to a particular divinity. But one of the things I, I just wanted to say is that um, it's not prescriptive. So it doesn't mean that just because 
those gods and goddesses are like that, that we are like that, and we just need to follow that path. It doesn't work like that. It's just, in a way, you can just pick and mix whatever makes sense for you in that particular moment in time and then run with it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think it's quite useful. But again, it, you know, it is one of those things that need to be taken with caution because it's not prescriptive. So it's not instructions of how we need to behave. Is a language that we could use to explain who we are no, and, and what I, we want to do. I like that. I like the fact that, yes, use of, of it as a language. And, and I was thinking of a couple of things as you were talking. And one was, I'm very aware we're using masculine, feminine. And I'm aware that in terms, for a lot of people, you know, they're trying to obviously step away with that when we're, we're talking non-binary and, and other gender identifications. Um, and I struggle to step away when we're having these kind of conversations because this is how it's written currently. And so I just want to acknowledge that, that we're using language about how it's written and therefore how other people can access it. And also, as you said, these elements are in all of us. So we've all got mm. sacred masculine, divine feminine, and it's the balance that makes us that person. Yeah, I, I think, think. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to finish with, I think at the moment what we, the understanding or maybe the lack of understanding is certainly in the Western world, the patriarchy and the masculine we're seeing is, you know, that shadow masculine, that toxicity, we're not seeing that sacred masculine leadership mm. as you were talking about. Yeah, it's really, yeah. It's, this topic is coming up a lot in um, lots of different environments, but one of the things that comes out for me is when, when I'm merging, it's difficult because it's the language that we use, as you said, it's how yeah. it's constructed, but it's always looking at the male and the female energy, yeah. which is not the same as men and women. Um, so it's just, it's, it's, so, I mean, it's binary because that's the language that we are using. So someone will come up with another another way of explaining it oh, and I will adopt that. Um, but one of the interesting things, sometimes when you, when you see people in groups or relationships, you really get like different energy from different people. And, um, and sometimes what it looks like a woman may have a very male dreaming energy. Um, then what you see as a man, he could have a very female that identifies himself as a man. Yes. Not, you know, if he's yeah. gay or any of the um, uh, denominations, but he has a very female energy and that is okay. I think it's just okay. because someone, it's funny, isn't it? Because if we feel the female energy, sometimes we say that they are effeminate, but then that comes with the whole array of denominations. But it's something far more subtle than that. It's just the way that they behave sometimes is a, I don't know, it's just the tone of voice, how they relate to the environment. It just feels more that kind of yeah. female energy. Again, it's not male. Yeah, it's, it's very hard because we are always looking in binaries. But yeah, I hope that something is coming through. Uh, one of the things that over the last few um, few days, I've been talking to someone about 
basically this came about because one of my sons is going to um, training that is martial arts training. And I adore their trainers because they are mostly male, although they are female, all ages. And they have a very quiet leadership. So they are not the extreme of the alpha male, but there is no doubt on who is calling the shots. You know, you cannot mess about with it, but it's a very quiet and very considerate and very compassionate. And there is a lot of room for maneuver. So there is no fear. Um, and it's just, is the feeling is just so nurturing and everybody grows in confidence and that is the thing you know that is a, that is a male there is a felt energy but it's really linked yeah. with the females so it's a really nice balance in there but it really fulfills a purpose it just and it's that role of leadership and and we're just thinking about this leadership that we are very bad at acknowledging and accepting quiet leadership we all complain about leaders. But then as soon as someone that is a bit quieter comes through, we don't like it. So what is that thing about, you know, and, and I think that that is related to the whole imagery, the whole understanding of what is right and what is not. And, and this comes, you know, religion is one of the, the ways that we have to, to examine that. But yeah, what does that say about this kind of contradiction that we don't like the strong leaders? It's not necessarily strong, it's that these are a bit more bullshit, a bit more kind of forward. Mm. We rebel against it. But then as soon as we have someone quieter, we don't know how to deal with it. And then everybody just all of a sudden just goes here shape. So I, I just found it you know, anything to do with dynamics in groups, I find it fascinating. And, and obviously that can be anything from the household to, you know, mm. international level. Um, yeah, well, anyway, I, was, I don't I know was... how we got there, but. <laughs> well, no, I think it's, I think it's really valid. And I was, you know, hearing you say that it brought to mind some of the managers I've worked for and certainly female managers where there's this, if they say yes to those above them, it can sometimes, and obviously this is my own opinion, it can sometimes come across as therefore they treat everybody underneath them with a little bit of a stick because they're pleasing everyone above. And that can come across with a masculine energy underneath it. Mm. And those managers that are maybe more nurturing to their teams, male or female, don't make it further up because they're not doing what everyone above wants. They're actually, you know, looking after and nurturing those teams. That's been my experience on a number of occasions. And yeah, it, it did make me reflect on exactly what you were saying that I think this shift from having those leaders who are very much stood at the front, it's, it's, it's almost that military style you know they're the ones stood at the front they're the ones saying how it goes they're giving the orders they're doing all of that and shifting into something that looks different is going to take time and yeah as a culture we're definitely not ready to maybe do that big leap we mm. 
need to kind of maybe step through that. Yeah, I mean, well, but how long have we been following that pattern? I mean, it's just <laughs> so it may take a while to shift that. It's interesting. Yeah, because uh, I was just thinking about some of my line managers at the university. I've got five different schools, so I have a little bit of experience of male and female kind of line managers. But it's interesting. I'm working more closely with those line managers that are far more, um, I would say, softer. Like they yeah. are softer but they have lots of experience and they are the quiet um it's not that they are like little mice they are not little mice they really estate what they need to do but yeah is they are definitely more caring and they are more considerate and i tell you what it is as well they are able to have a wider vision of the whole picture they are less narrow focused and and i think that makes them a little bit more vulnerable to go up the excellence of the particular hierarchy whereas if there are people that are a bit more narrow focused they seem to get higher mm -hmm. but again i think that is related to yeah what we find that is more appropriate what we think that is better for the whole whether we are going for a male or female energy how does that look and um and yeah that is very much rooted again in that idea of this strong leader that is not necessarily very compassionate and no and yeah and quite often ego driven i was i was thinking of some of the well as they've called themselves you know some of the the tribes and the communities african and native american and i know they still have chiefs I know they still have a hierarchy but they also appear and again it's not having been part of but they appear to have that community driven focus I guess is the best word they have that picture they know what they're working towards they know what the goals are and they do that whereas I guess you know when we're thinking of some of those very masculine leaders who seem to be leading from ego rather than getting everybody together and coming from a place where everyone's on the same page yeah it's, yeah it's really i would i was just thinking that it's interesting how it will be even within the west the different um kind of ethos that goes with it and i was just thinking mm -hmm. I'm, I'm marking at the moment exams and, and they are politics. So the, one of the questions is around ideology. And one of the, one of the questions was about um, conservatism as an ideology. And some of the um, main tenets of conservatism as ideology, not what the parties do. The parties may adopt elements of it. It's a two separate things. But one of the main things is the respect organic change, which is not organic, is the respect of the institutions and actually keeping the institutions because they, um, I suppose, they provide support to society. But that comes on the back of when conservatism was created and conservatism was created as a response to the French Revolution. So after looking at what's happening in France, they said, we don't want that here. 
we are going to create this ideology that is very pragmatic, which by definition in ideology cannot be pragmatic, but that is another topic. <laughs> um, so we are very focused on what we are doing. And then one of the things that it was recognized is natural inequality. Yeah. Because those are born to be leaders and there are other people that are born to be followers. And they, another identification is that they recognize that those that are, are more intelligent need to be the leaders. Now, what he fails to say is that the most intelligent may not become or may not be part of that economic elite. <laughs> so they don't mean that. They mean that those that are born in a particular class are going to be the elite. Um, and they are masking it with something else. And another thing is limited government, but that is known because of the, you know, they focus on, on the economy mm -hmm. and leave it everything to the economy to rule whatever it is. But I think that that idea of natural inequality is really powerful because it kind of trickles through for generations about the acceptance of this is not my place, this is not what I'm doing. And that could be class, it could be race, it could be gender, it could be age, it could be anything. Mm -hmm. And it has been really powerful and it's still there. So then if we are in a work environment and we are in a school environment, whatever it is, there is still the recognition of, I don't really deserve to be there yeah. for some reason that it has been really embedded in you know, and, and some people that, you know, if we are looking at economic terms, there are really rich people that are a completely waste of a space, as there are really poor people that are true leaders and true community leaders. So, I, you know, there is something there that is amiss. It's not quite right. understanding of what is happening, but I think that that understanding of recognition of natural inequality is something really strong in... Um, in most Western cultures, actually, um, that some people deserve something and some people don't. And yeah. who takes that decision? And that goes not just in terms of jobs or whatever it is, but it goes through age and gender and race. And there is a kind of a stratification. Mm -hmm. Why that is it just developing to all sorts of different, you know, control mechanisms but at the ideology level um i think that that is really really important and i think that there is a lack of reflection of what equality is and equality really is not everybody the same which is a funny thing to say but it's just that everybody has the right to be who they are that's what true equality is I don't want to be the same as another person, thank you very much. I'm myself and I'm very happy with that. But I really would like to have the tools, the opportunities and the ability to fulfill who I am yeah. and all my skills. And that is what true equality means. Now, some people will need more help than others. But that's where the system should go yeah, at the community level and national and international and so forth. But if we are coming from the proviso that it is a natural inequality, all that completely disappears. Um, 
and there is no truly you know engagement into solving that issue and that kind of translates into all sorts of different conflicts mm. at all levels well, i was thinking when you were talking about intelligence as well and you know having that into who defines defines the intelligence and you know we know how obviously education systems are set up and how they define intelligence and we know why so many children struggle because their intelligence or actually let's replace that with strengths their strengths are not you know mathematical or scientific they are they might be great artists great performers their skills lie somewhere else and I think this comes back to you know that intelligence and leadership and actually we're almost kind of coming full circle to, to that original conversations about what are those characteristics is it getting a first and you know thinking of the UK and our current system you know is it getting a first Oxford Cambridge coming through that system or actually is it more the emotional intelligence as you were saying about those community leaders who can work so amazingly well with their communities and for many of them it's the experience of that lived experience that gives them their intelligence but then they come with this slightly softer side they come with this nurturing side they come with the compassion they come with wanting to bring everyone with them mm. and actually where does that sit in the system yeah well and the other thing is you know in addition to that is um the recognition i always i always use the the approach of the filmmaking kind of a strategy so if you're making a film everybody's important yeah you know if you don't have cleaners cleaning the set you cannot film because yeah. it will be a mess and it will show through so every single person has a role now that role needs to be respected that's the difference because all these conversations about oh if that job is not good enough get another one no that job is good but you need to treat people properly i met someone yesterday and um lovely man he, I met him in one of the care homes where I do some of the dementia's work. And uh, he was, I mean, you could see that he, he really likes caring for people. And, um, and I hadn't seen him for a while. And yesterday I saw him, he's working at, the, at, at a restaurant. And um, he said, yeah, I left it because it was very disorganized. They didn't pay us for the overtime that we were doing. Mm -hmm. and it was very stressful and and he said and this is okay i want to i want to kind of work a little bit in here but i really want to go back to care because it's what i like and it's what i want to do however you need to recognize that work that work is not for everybody it's not for everybody yeah. and you can put any multi-millionaire sorry in any of those homes some of them may be good because that's how they are inclined the majority my guess is that they are completely useless however that job is very very necessary mm -hmm. so everybody needs to be respected what happened during the pandemic who were the people that were keeping the country afloat absolutely you know is the cleaners 
the nurses that are not very well paid, the doctors, I mean, they were excluded, the teachers, the people, the supermarkets, the lorry drivers, I mean, the other people that are taking along everything, who are the people that are worse treated? The same lot. In what I mean, it just doesn't make sense. So then what happened? We have an educational system that trains people to become clones and to respond to jobs that are already in place. They are not training, it's not there to really develop the skills of people, so they are resilient. Resilient emotionally, resilient professionally, resilient in terms of using the critical thinking. No, they are not. So every single person is trained to fulfill a prescribed job in society. You've got the people that are going to the best universities, very good resources, but the majority are going to be trained to fulfill a certain role in society. It's part of the indoctrination. Exactly the same with different people in different universities. It's how we're seeing in the curriculum, how we're seeing in the schools. So, you know, there is a space for this, but a major change needs to happen because otherwise, you know, there is, what, I, what it really gets me is that there is a waste of resources, of knowledge, of skills. If you are trying to put everybody that is rounded through a square mold, it just, it, it doesn't make any sense. So we could develop so much in all areas where you really maximize and support people to develop who they are. And I suppose that they, one of the arguments would be like, yeah, but if people are paid properly, they wouldn't want to do care work. Well, this guy that I met yesterday would, because that's what he wants to do. And I think that's when we're talking those kind of roles, I mean, obviously my background is social care yeah. and no, like everyone's there because they want to do it. They want to make a difference. They're not in it for the money. Um, definitely not. They're not in it for, you know, praise. Most of them aren't in it to even go up the management scale because the minute you start doing that, you're stepping away from the the face-to-face -face work and the hands-on. And, you know, as you said during the pandemic it wasn't just the nurses and the doctors you know the cleaners I mean the really came into their own and supermarket workers and everybody and it's recognizing that and allowing that and giving those roles the respect I think um I was thinking of a when I went on holiday there was obviously myself from social care and someone else who had been a, a teacher and someone else who had been a care inspector. And I sat at lunch with one of the other guys and, and he, he was said, oh, I just drive the food carts that take the food, the food to the airplanes. And I was like, oh my goodness, how important are you? Because I would be so grouchy if I didn't get my food on a 10 hour flight. Yeah. <laughs> And it was the fact he started with the word just because yeah. to him, he was surrounded by other people who, for all intents and purposes, were considered professional mm. due to qualifications. And, and it was like, no, you, you have your place. The fact that you do your role or somebody does that role is why, I mean, we were over in America, we'd all flown, yeah. <laughs> you know, the reason we were all fed on the plane. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's yeah no I was just thinking it It does it also brings back to that is instead of just testing the academics which is what we consider intelligence it comes back to 
those masculine feminine qualities and actually working with children and young people on where are their qualities Mm. what qualities do they naturally have where are their natural strengths rather than the intelligence yes you know the one I always use my dad's a professor you know he's a mechanical engineer very mathematic very scientific not how my brain works at all and definitely not my strength Mm. which is fine we both have our places in the world and we both have our roles to to do but I just reflect on myself and think how much how different that's a better word how different school experience and educational experience would have been when I was younger Mm. um if it had been done on the strengths rather than the academics yeah and completely and the stresses that come up for young people I mean all those young people we see in A&E and actually they all had these amazing strengths these amazing characteristics every single one of them and and it's just um, when you were talking I was thinking about two things is one how many children and young people are diagnosed now with lots of different conditions but I think it's just the stress they are under um, because of the external circumstances and the lack of recognition of where their strengths are Um, so you know the more they are pushed the more they are going to react because they don't have the skills to navigate They they must they may have the skills to mask it which um, is a main issue, really, particularly with anybody, well, anybody in general, but particularly for those that are considered in the autism spectrum, that are very good at masking and very good at responding and knowing what people want them to say. So they just say it. But that doesn't solve the issue because they they don't get to learn, they don't get to develop how they should. They are just saying, I'm telling you what you want to hear so then you can leave me alone basically and the more clever they are the more apt they are going to be at masking it so that is another wasted um skill in there but also we're just thinking that it's not just children and young people but it's this kind of mismatch of um ethical not ethical but ethos that is with us and how much that affects to everybody. And this is, again, this is one book that I didn't remember to bring down, but I just uh, explore, it's always one. Um, It's a book called Cure. And it's an American um, doctor who is also a psychologist, I believe, and who is also has a PhD on divine studies. Mm -hmm. So he's talking about um, how to deal with health and basically it's how to deal with prevention really, so we don't um, get to, you know, a point that is a a no comeback. And again, this is always said, and he's very clear at what he says, this is nothing to do with not adopting medicine, because medicine is important, but not going to medicine just as a tap, or I need a tablet for this, or I need a tablet for that. Sometimes we can resort to other mechanisms. And um, he talks about different things. He talks about, you know, the importance of nutrition. It's like a little bit like a Maslow hierarchy of needs, but it would be like, it's not a hierarchy. It's like more like different things that we can do along the spectrum. So one is health, um, is nutrition. The other one is movement. 
the other one, I don't remember the third one, but the fourth one was identity. And identity, he refers to mindset. And he refers, again, we are going back in full circle, it's this idea of who we are. And one of the cases that he puts forward is this woman, she was an American woman, and she was in a very um, loving environment um, and very conventional. She was a mother and had lots of kids and she was in the house and she was really kind of, in a way, responding. She must have been about 60, I think he mentioned. So in very particular time, and he, she knew the role that she needed to play. However, she was diagnosed with cancer. And then at that moment in time, she decided to take a little bit more time for herself um and really to take care of herself what happened she received a real backlash by her family mm -hmm. and friends because she was behaving in a way that it wasn't how she normally behaved then she realized that it was a mismatching here she's like okay all of a sudden i'm the same person i was behaving like this i was doing this all caring and nurturing you know all the ticks of the stereotypical perhaps woman in the 70s you know step for wife type of format yeah. And then now that I want to take a bit of more time for myself, I'm not rejecting them, but just taking a bit more time for myself. They are rejecting me. What happened? Well, she realized she broke free and she just completely rediscovered herself. And what he says is that she went in remission. So in that particular instance, in this case study, I'm not saying that it always happens, yeah. but in this particular case study, her physical condition was a reaction to the repression that she had at the psychological, social, emotional level. Again, this is not a recipe for anybody else. It worked for her and that's how he portrays that. But I think that for me is important in the context of what we were talking about, about the role of the feminine. It's not the feminine, it's who we are. So she was trained to behave in a particular way that was very much a gangster. Now, her body, in a way, didn't like that. Mm -hmm. And it came up. And, you know, she decided that she was going to change it and it worked for her. Um, in other circumstances, like he says, is that sometimes, you know, people are eating the right things, they have the right mindset and all that, and they become ill. And unfortunately, they die. And so the thing is, sometimes that's what happens because we get to the end of our path you know yeah. it's not that it's going to cure everybody i'm again i'm not i don't want to say that this is what happens if you <laughs> if you no. are like this do this no it's not that but it is the importance of in some circumstances how not following your natural instinct um sometimes it can have adverse effects not just for you but for the people around you and again, being very cautious, this doesn't mean that all of a sudden all women are boudicas and they just need to go on run wild. Each person will have their own attributes, but it's really understanding where we are, who we are, what we stand for, and see how we can shape our world around that. Um, taking care of the people that are around us too. So, and mm. it's a continuous conversation and and sometimes you know it's this thing of managing the expectations that other people have about ourselves it's like no sorry that's not me <laughs> i don't know how you got that idea but that's not me so then you know it becomes it, 
you know, it's, it's interesting. It can be sometimes complex, but I think that it can lead to real respect of everybody and where everybody are because it comes from a place of knowledge and compassion. It doesn't come from a place of I'm who I am and you deal with it. No, that's the ego. Um, it comes from a place, I'm really sorry, you know, if I'm an introvert, I'm really sorry, I really would love to be there, but I just feel I need to be in my cave for a couple of days. Please don't stop asking, you know, I'd really want to go. You know, it's an example. And it's just different personalities, different identities evolve depending on whatever is happening to us. And, and again, it's the idea of the female or the male identity, what is it? And, and we are a combination of all of them. And depending on the circumstances, we can have one that is more dominant than others. It's like this um, fight, flight and freeze. You know, if you are put in a particular stressful situation, the fight will be the warrior. It's like, I'm going for it. And whoever is in front of me, the, the, the fright is like, Oh, it could be related to this idea of more kind of the the mouse. It's like, yeah. And then the freeze is somewhere in between. It's just like I'm so kind of it's like the the um the deer. It's like this is survival, you know? So depending on the stresses, we are going to naturally react in a different way that it could be more related to a female or a male attribute. Mm -hmm. um, but in general, I think that we are a real combination of all of it. And the sooner we understand that and we can communicate that to other people when needed, yeah. um, then the better, you know, more meaningful relationships could be. Yeah, and you don't need to have a presentation card. This is me and this is how I react. And you, know, you don't need to go there. <laughs> no, and, 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 two things but on the same spectrum came to mind as you were just saying that and um, one and I've spoken about her several times before uh, there's a coach Susan Hyatt and she talks about the invisible workload of women and putting your boundaries in and you know being able to say no but from a compassionate place to your to your family and I was just thinking that you know we have again particularly as women or particularly as whoever the you know, primary carer, home person is quite often, you know, there is that invisible workload and putting those boundaries in can be quite hard. And that can be seen as something to, you know, oh, I need to step into whatever that is. On the flip side, I was thinking of um, one of my clients who, you know, we're talking about stepping into feminine energy. So coming out of the balancing not coming out of but balancing the feminine energy and stepping into that sensuality and that playfulness and that full authenticity actually is just as hard for them as it would be for other people to put those boundaries in so whichever qualities they are or whichever aspects to become themselves they know that there is something that needs to shift um depends on exactly who you are yeah and also, that's the thing, it's just, and then when we are starting to explore those areas, I think that, um, again, it's in a spectrum, because yeah. I've come across quite a few, um, because there is a lot of conversation about the divine feminine, 
and so forth. Particularly once it's algorithms, once you lock into something, everything else comes. And then you think that everybody's talking about it. Actually, no, it's just a handful of people in the world, but you know, it's big. Um, as soon as we're exploring this kind of divine and feminine, there is a very clear relationship with sensuality. And I think that is quite, it's very uncomfortable conversation for many people, but also it can be taken to extremes very quickly. Yes. Just because we are talking about sensuality doesn't mean that we need to do burlesque workshops or go pole dancing every day or whatever it is, or, or just really going into be deeper, you know, Osho practices. It's not about that. And there are every single person we need to go through lots of different stages. I think that the idea of sensuality, that, and that is a difference that I think that some people don't get, is the difference between sensuality and sexuality. Yes, And absolutely. I think I've come across that as, a, as someone, well, I could, I could mention that Latin woman, although in the States we'll have another meaning, but in, um, as coming from a Mediterranean country, um, sensuality is everywhere. Yes. But sexuality is not, I mean, it is in some cases, but it's not the same. No. And I noticed that with the dancing. So when you are dancing with someone and you see these in lots of couple dancing around the world, if you're dancing with someone, it could be very sensual, very sensual. But you finish the dance, you say, see you later, and I don't see you anymore. You're not sharing your soul. You're not sharing anything. You're just dancing and you're tuning into the energy of that particular person and following the music. And for the person in the outside, they may think like, oh, there is something in there. Do the partners know that? You know, it's nothing to do with that. And it's really difficult to explain um, that sensuality and sexuality is different. You see, and I notice in dance as well, sometimes there are some practitioners, not all, but some practitioners that are doing particular heel work in, in kind of a straight dance genres that adopt a very sexual approach, which I personally don't like. But that's my personal yeah. thing. Other, other people like it, but that's perhaps my area. That's what I'm saying. No, that's not for me. For other people, it's great. Yeah. Um, but I think that doesn't help for this discussion because then it's very difficult to differentiate yeah. sexuality and sensuality. Someone that I would consider sensual is Shakira Beyonce. Yeah. That type of energy is very sensual. But it doesn't go into rocky territory. Whereas he's, you know, Madonna is sexual. Absolutely. 100%, you know, yeah. and then you see that. And if you see those, those kind of conversations when people need to step into different areas, they can see that exploring their sensuality doesn't mean that they need to become Madonna or beyond. It's not that, he's just finding their own way. And I think it's a conversation that um, it's difficult to have, but it's difficult to experience. Yeah. Um, and I know it, you know, from where I stand is from the dance point of view. Mm. I, I can really see people that are not completely, is not comfortable in their bodies in one way or another. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's how to facilitate to feel freer 
in their body and is that kind of self-care i mean sensuality for me is very much self-care it's very much it's like the dance that you will do that is very rounded but you do with a group of people that you trust so yes. you let yourself go and it can be yeah. really raucous and it can be but it's fun it's playful and you know that nobody is going to step over yeah. the mark you know yeah. that kind of sense of i feel comfortable in my skin and i think that yeah sometimes yeah. and i think it's that's difficult to kind of differentiate the two um in some instances i think you and you just said it and i think it it is difficult because in one in one side it's that felt sense that you just cannot explain the sensuality rather than the sexuality and yeah on the other side it it is just what it, it's how it you embody it is how you feel it and feeling comfortable in your skin and actually you brought to mind um something i remember um a few people saying when i was dancing which was actually how i had this sensuality about my dancing and i was like what are you talking about <laughs> um and i have to say it's taken me a long time to get to the point where i can actually embody that and go okay yeah maybe there is and you're right it was never about anything sexual shaking anything that shouldn't have been you know it it was just dancing and um but what other people were seeing and i think that included you <laughs> um what i was feeling didn't connect and it's taken me time to actually do that connection and kind of go, oh, this is how it feels like when I dance. This is what makes me feel. And it's more than feeling good. And that's where I get to the felt sense. It's that next layer. It's that, yeah, I, this is my best self. I feel amazing when I dance like this and I move like this or whatever it is. Um, and that's the bit that can't quite be explained and can't be taught and it's just there but isn't that interesting that your body could kind of say that before you could yes that that is just if you let it go if you have relaxed and you're tuning into that the music or whatever it is you can just really let yourself go in in yeah. that, that sense but it, it just really but again i think it's really interesting as well the reactions that we get from people you know, sometimes I've heard conversations, you know, that some people say, why are you dancing in such a sexual way? And actually, I could see that it wasn't sexual what the person was doing. Mm -hmm. But it's just, again, it's this um, identification or understanding about uh, how people move, that it could be misread because of our standpoint, not because of theirs, mm -hmm. is what we see. So again, it goes back to us. It's like, okay, why am I seeing that? Do I understand it? How am I with it? You know, how would I dance that? And then, so it's bring it towards you rather than blaming it to other people. And I think that really can, you know, if someone that is trying to explore themselves and their sensuality and their personality are against someone say to them, why are you moving like that? Well, already, pfft, you have completely erased all attempt for that person to actually try to explore that further, you know. No. Um, so it just really, 
bringing awareness or sometimes before saying to anybody <laughs> when you to explore is like why am i feeling like this yeah or why am i feeling like yeah. that i'm reading a book at the moment that is called the secret the secret movement of the pelvis in martial arts and wow. it's really, really interesting because it's talking about the internal movement, not necessarily the external movement. That is what you see is how you internalize it. It's talking about the chi, but the interesting thing is talking about the alliance of the heaps and, and so forth. Yeah. Um, and sometimes one of the things that he's talking about over and over and over again is about how do you feel the things that you are reacting against? Um, mm. And sometimes we just react to things because we are not, we don't understand it, or we are not ready, or is something that is triggered on us because we know that we need to take care of it. Um, yeah. So yeah, I suppose that it's just again, is pushing into a way of living that is um, slightly slower, not much slower, but just a slightly slower and not reactive. Yeah. It's just taking a little bit of time, just a tiny bit, but a little bit of time to really see the impact or where things are coming from. If mm. I'm reacting to something, is that because I'm reacting because the person has really done something against me or because of our standpoint and our value systems? Again, relates a little bit of this idea about the identification of the divine and attributes of the female yeah. and male and so forth is that what are our values mm -hmm. and how are we judging the world based on those values but then why are your values more important than anybody else's those are your values someone yeah. else's has have another value but if the standpoint is one of serious and authentic respect um yeah. then everything goes again this this goes into the the thing about freedoms that people think, oh, I'm free. No, you're free as long as you're not damaging anybody else. You know, your freedom finishes when my freedom starts. That's what the freedom culture is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's fascinating because it's juicy and it's multi-layered and, and, yeah. and all that. But I think that we need to reflect a little bit more. And it wouldn't be amazing that all this is taught at schools. All other whole other conversation and I, I think you know one of the words I've come across in the last year to really support all of this I think has been curiosity mm. and that coming from a place of curiosity about everything and um, you know the, the curiosity to what we're making things mean why or everything you were just talking about but getting curious about ourselves getting curious about what's going on around us what's going on in the world all of those things no judgment not from any other place just this neutral place of curiosity and I think that's a, a really good place to kind of I guess come from but also maybe uh, for today end the conversation if that's all right yeah perfect yeah anything else to add before we go not really that you know it would be interesting to kind of one of these days to do a content analysis of our conversations to see where, <laughs> <laughs> where we started and where we ended up yes and I, yeah. I kind of and i could hear you know another two or three conversations coming up in there so <laughs> who, who knows what we'll be on next time because <laughs> exactly. there's, there's going to be i could feel this <laughs> <laughs>
as as ever it's been fabulous thank you so much rosaria oh thank you thank you it has been lovely to chat with you thank you thank you thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed yet another soulful conversation to find out more about my work how to connect with me check out the notes below don't forget to subscribe and follow and i look forward to you joining me next time